the uh, August 1st. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, like it. Yep. Yep. I got it. Yeah, got to give him some credit. <laughs> you guys paying attention? One of those. So we're going to call to order the August first meeting of the Rock County Planning <coughs> Commission. Sarah, if you would be so kind as to call the roll. Hey, Steve Warnke. Yeah. Uh, Brian Kelly. Present. Andrew Benjamin. Here. Deborah Char. John Merrill. Present. Valdores. Peter Pence. Roberta Marshall. Jeff Pettis. Present. Greg Yeager. Here. We have a quorum. We have a housekeeping. Uh, number one, I'd appreciate it. We don't appreciate it if we silence our cell phones or turn them off or however you got to do that. <clears throat> Number two, there should have been or is a sign-up sheet floating about. Um, please sign in so that we know who's present this evening. And the last item would be, because these proceedings are actually available to the public to monitor by telephone, the system works better if we all use the microphones, so I'd ask that um, either the petitioner or the representatives or the public please use the lectern. Um, when it's so appropriate. Having said that, first thing, item on the agenda, public comment. Anyone who wishes to address the commission this evening on any item that is not on the agenda, now is the time to do so. Seeing none, we'll move on. Items consideration. This is the Dowdy PUD PL-143-18. This is really a continuation of the initial hearing, which was tabled for a number of reasons. I'm going to yield to staff to kind of walk us through and bring us all current, particularly in my case, Christine. Yes, Steve. Um, staff provided a staff packet that included eight items, bulleted items, that were left as outstanding issues from the June 6th Planning Commission meeting. Uh, there were concerns at that time, um, specifically um, surrounding the watershed analysis, information that was provided by the city. Um, so the applicant has provided um, additional information they hired a consultant themselves um, to review the city's consultant's letter. All of that information was provided in your in your packet. Uh, the applicant will get into the detail of that, and I believe there is a representative from the city here tonight as well. Other items that were left for the applicant to submit in the addendum part of this packet were a copy of the Debarcade Watershed Protection Permit approval, along with clarification from Craig Robinson, City Parks regarding the location of the four trail. That's on page 19 of the report. Uh, revised plans that address landscaping, building elevations, architectural elements, and relocation of the caretaker unit with security and gate, along with a visual impact study provided in your packet. And staff also included the minutes from June 6th. If you had any questions. 
Um, also, for your convenience, staff did include the findings of fact on page two. Findings of fact also include review of the final PUD criteria for a change of zone, which this application also includes. That's findings of fact number three. And there are <clears throat> general conditions one through 11 to consider and specific condition, conditions 12 through 20. Um, and I believe the applicant has a PowerPoint and will fill you in on the details of the submittal and staff is here to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you, Mr. Peter, you representing the applicant, I'm assuming. Correct. Peter Patton with Patton Associates representing the applicant. Uh, good evening. We have uh, other members of our team here. This evening uh, from Four Points Engineering, Joe Wiedemeyer and Walter McGill, uh, Yampa Valley Engineering, Jim Stegmeyer, and Paul Courier with Water Resource Consultants who will speak to the water issues as Christy mentioned. Um, for Chairman Warnicke's benefit, I left in some of the introductory slides and I'll go through them quick because I know I think everybody else saw them. but. Um, Quickly would be appropriate. I appreciate that. I will go through them if the system this works. It should be turned on on the side. Oh, I know why. Nope, that's not it. I will. Um, I will be your banner. Let me see if the point works. It's not in there. It's in the maps thing. A quick background. Uh, the, the northern lot, which we call uh, lot one, and the southern lot is lot two uh, as we move through it. So lot one is zone PUD, but the final PUD was never filed, so it's kind of a floating zone that's gray, and we're trying to bring some definition to it with this project. Uh, conceptual PUD was approved, uh, I don't know, almost two years ago now. Wow. So uh, other things that we're trying to accomplish here are provide the city with an easement to extend the Cork Trail to the south, as well as a very important easement for Mount Werner Water to extend their water lines between their facilities to the north and their proposed facilities to the south. Okay? It should be working. And it's not. Am I pointing it in the wrong direction? Did you turn it off now? It should be good. Put that. <laughs> That switch. Well, Alan just did something. I don't know what he did, but Setting you Alan was supposed to make it work. <laughs> okay, thank you. Which would be in the working. So, this is the site. Uh, again, Lot one, lot two, uh, that's existing. We're proposing a lot line adjustment that would keep the lot two on the uh, east side of the river, and then th this piece would join lot one. Uh, Christian Center, Mount Werner Water Facility, city land, and more Mount Werner Water to the south. It's 9.3 acres, and that's where the core trail ends. 
this is a quick uh, aerial of the site. There's a bridge over the river here. Uh, the only use really going on here is the balloon launch here, uh, Christian Center, and of course the nursery. Uh, ground level site, uh, flat ground, river in the background. This is the west portion of the site. Uh, this is the old PowerPoint. Uh oh. This this is the uh, PowerPoint from. Do you have your flash drive? Sure. <laughs> Just gave it to you. directed us to address for today's meeting. The first row, they're kind of segregated here into the first into issues. So all of this stuff is kind of site plan type stuff. So you wanted to know more about the visual impact from US 40. You, you, you wanted to know about the possibility of relocating the caretaker unit uh, toward the entry. Uh, we discussed that the future access to lot two would be necessary because eventually when the nursery intersection changes, CDOT will require a right in right out there. So um, we talked about architectural elements and, and uh, improving the architectural elements and uh, possibly moving the building so that the uh, residents uh, nearby would only see the ends of them. Uh, we talked about the core trail and the alignment of it. I'm leaving that to Christy, and, and she can talk about that because Craig Robinson um, has written a memo on that. And then we talked about whether it should be asphalt or gravel on the bridge approach. And then there's water protection permit uh, issues. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. Um, 
There's kind of the water issues, um, and we already did this, provided you with the debarquee uh, permit that was issued by the city for the sand filtered system. And then these are kind of other random issues, the bridge, the Doherty Road, and the business plan. So that's what we're going to go through. The site plan has been significantly revised, uh, well, completely revised on the east side. Okay. Um, the west side remains the same. So what we've done here, walk you through, we've added an office at the entry, small office um, with three parking spaces. Uh, that office would have a window uh, if people stop, and so that uh, person could, the manager could, you know, speak with people coming in or going out. Um, so that's going to uh, present a, a formal business um, arrangement at the uh, at the entry. Uh, relative to the caretaker unit, we we left the actual caretaker unit where it is because that person will likely have a family and uh, want a residence that is not uh, right at the uh, entry, you know, and a, a busy place. So, so the caretaker unit we feel strongly should remain over in this area um, for an on-site uh, security person. Uh, the buildings have been reoriented. So the, the nearby residences are located over in this area and their view toward the um, toward the, the storage buildings will now um, see a lot less building and, and, and more of the ends of the building. And so this is a whole this is a whole new plan for the east side. We've added landscaping uh, at the entry here, here, and here. And one of the uh, comments from the, some of the residents was to uh, buffer the headlights coming in and out. So uh, we, have, we have added that landscaping in this area as well as these areas. Um, let's see. Well, we did go ahead and uh, we will change this to gravel here. And, and, and that was a minor issue with the, the city in meeting with uh, John Schneider uh, they felt that uh, leaving that road gravel would provide more water permeability uh, instead of in, instead of the asphalt for uh, going into the groundwater. So we did it. Um, so future access easements a lot too. This is a 39 foot wide access easement. Uh, there are utilities located along this lot line, several of them. So we that that is within the it will be a it will also be a utility easement. So those will be um, protected. And then there's a 24 foot wide outside of the 15 foot wide kind of utility uh, easement area. There's a 24 foot wide roadway. So. Um, that will provide future access, not until, this isn't going to happen as an access until the nursery becomes right in, right out. So it's a future access easement that would be on the plot. Um, we met with uh, Jim Stegmeyer, met with Doug Schaefer. Uh, we've added an additional fire hydrant. Is there one or two, Joe? Two on the west side and one on the east. Um, 
And then I've got a slide later we can talk about the bridge. So those are the site plan changes. Um, here are the um, architectural drawings. We've got stone and wood and metal and some breakup in the uh, in the in the elevations with these features. Here's an end and uh, so and with landscaping um, adjacent to the unit. So you, you we talked about you wanted neutral colors and barn-like elements. So uh, we responded. Uh, the visual analysis that you requested. Um, we did a detailed visual analysis, and you may have seen this in the packet. Um, so Joe was on site with a pole with a yellow balloon on it, and it was between 10 and 13 feet high, the balloon. I was out here on US 40 taking these photographs. And so these are numbered first photograph, second, third, fourth, fifth. And then we did a seventh one over here on CR 14. So the bottom line here is there is extremely minimal visual impact. Um, and with the, with the site plan changes, even, even less so if there was any. So walking you through these photographs, there's viewpoint one, um, and then the balloon was back here. So I'll, I'll give you another look at um, where these were. So I started out here um, to the south of the site. I think the vent is right there. Uh, and the, the, the stone place where they sell uh, the granite and stuff may be right there. So I started here, then we got two, and then three over by the nursery. Four and five are by the entry. Doherty Road entry, six is over by the River Place residences, and then seven is over by uh, the County Road 14. So there's one, uh, that's viewpoint two, which is a little further south looking in. You can see there's a lot of existing vegetation. This is looking at the nursery road, uh, and you, this was the first time you could see a balloon at 10 and a half feet which is about the eave line of the buildings, I believe. But you can just barely see that there. Um, there's two pictures at the intersection of Doherty Road and US 40. This is the first one. Um, no visible balloon, the trees are obstructing it. Um, and then at this point, we believe the units would like to be visible at this angle, but then we change the site plan after this. Um, this is one over uh, by the River Place residences, uh, so much closer. And this was a balloon visible at 10 and a half feet, right back there. That, that is not a balloon, that's a, that's a balloon sign for Wild West Balloon Lodge, but it's back there. So you, again, you can see there's a lot of screening here. And uh, this is from County Road 14. So it's a long ways away, but you will be able to see the storage unit buildings from County Road 14 um, in, the, in, the, in the distance. The, so if you squint, you can see the, there is a balloon there. Um, going on to the bridge, which was another issue you wanted information on. Um, the bridge is uh, and, uh, was constructed of two railroad cars, and Jim Stegmeyer knows a lot about this bridge. Um, 
it's structural steel spanning the river, supported on either end by two H-piles. Um, Jim took Doug Schaefer out there. Um, he looked at the bridge and concluded that um, he would approve it if the surface of the bridge is modified to eliminate the holes of the gaps and the structural members, which are in this middle piece. There's, there's a hole right there, kind of you can see through. And that the bridge would have adequate guardrails. Um, it is 17 feet wide, um, so it's going to be a one-directional bridge. Uh, Doug was okay with that because uh, the code allows for it. Um, I'd like to introduce Paul Courier of Water Resource Consultants to talk a little bit about the, the, the water quality issue. Paul's been working in the Valley 25 years and has done a lot of public and private uh, work um, for various clients in the valley, and um, like to have him uh, talk a little bit about the, the water, um, and then I will conclude. Good evening. Some of you already know me, but uh, I'll introduce myself just briefly. Um, but I'll start with a uh, quote from one of the Steamboat Springs High School's principals. Actually, his dad, who said, and John Schichels is who I'm referring to, um, you can know nothing until you know its history. So I'll tell you just this much about myself, and then just a little bit about what I know about the Yampa River in terms of water quality and water quantity, specifically as it applies to this proposal. So a little bit about myself. <clears throat> Fourth generation Colorado farm and ranch kid, Western Colorado from the 1890s forward. Been doing water engineering in Western Colorado, Northwestern Colorado for 37 plus years. I had the privilege of being the engineer on the very first golf course in the United States to ever install activated carbon filters on the golf course drains underneath the uh, golf greens. As a side note, they didn't work. We never got any water through the drains. It's really hard to sample air when you're trying to sample water. So I guess they worked. But we didn't have a problem with water quality. Also managed a health physics study on a Department of Energy site. I learned a lot about health physics, which I didn't even know existed. And I was a site engineer on a super fun site for about five years. So water quality is something I've done a lot of, but my focus for the last 25 years has been mostly on water rights, water quality, anything and everything to do with streams. And I'm very familiar with the Storty site. I've been working on it off and on for 15 years. Um, probably equally important in the story about who I am, my own personal health challenges. A couple of years ago, the doctor said, hey, you've got thyroid issues. And I went, what? It's a thyroid. Well, I knew what a thyroid was, but I had no idea what Hashimoto's was. I've learned a lot. One of the things I avoid is drinking any drinking water that has fluoride added to it. Because fluoride is a trigger for Hashimoto's, among other things. So I've added a whole house carbon filter in my own house, in part because of reason. I mention this because I want you to know that I'm pretty sensitive to anything that's considered a water quality issue. And that bears with what I'm going to say. And last but not least, I'm sensitive to it because at this point in my career, 
I pretty much get to pick and choose what I want to work on. In my farm and engineering background, the intersection is regenerative agriculture, and water quality is a huge issue. And so I paid a lot of attention to that. So let's talk about the Yampa, Yampa River. Okay, this particular project site, which is the southern border of the town of Steamboat Springs, it is 471 square miles. Whereas the actual site's about two and a half acres. That's less than one one hundred thousandth of the watershed. Why is that important? Let me illustrate. And unfortunately, people who are listening won't be able to see this. But in my hand, I hold the uh, Yampa River Aquifer, some sponges. So if we take precipitation, this is kind of what happens to it. See that water going through the sponges? Not much. But if you take the Yampa River and you pour water on it, not only does it flow across the top, Close down the podium and it soaks through. The reality is, the Yampa River produces about, last year produced a quarter million acre feet of water. That's an average of about eight inches of actual runoff per acre, anywhere in the basin. So you take how much water you get on two and a half acres, you get about 1.7 acre feet. <coughs> Mount Warner pumps 12, they have the capacity right now to pump about 1,250 gallons a minute. That's roughly six acre feet a day. So if we were relying just on precipitation to feed those galleries, they wouldn't last more than a few hours. That's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. Also important here is the city's consultant last January finally realized that the river is actually the source of the water for those galleries, that the aquifer is more like a sponge. It just holds water. It doesn't really convey water very well. And so this is important. So water issue about water and quantity, I'm not concerned in the least. This project will have no measurable impact. Let me repeat that, no measurable impact. <coughs> what you're looking at now, I'm going to talk about water quality. The uh, city's consultant raised the question about specifically about the chemicals that are in firefighting foam. As it turns out, um, The firefighting foam that's in question was completely phased out in 2015. The main company that invented it, along with the Navy in 1967, 3M, quit manufacturing it in 2002. The main places where there's issues around the country are at military bases, which you can see in kind of the purple, 
and then manufacturing sites. Um, unfortunately, every single one of us in this room actually has PAFSs and PFOSs in our bloodstream because every one of us has probably used a Teflon pan at some point in your life. Or if you haven't personally used it, you've certainly been to a restaurant that's used it. Also, in terms of the discussion on where this is at, the EPA in 2014 said we need to get an external peer review of the draft, draft health effects. And the draft health effects, it's just an advisory. It's not, it's not the biggest fish to fry that the EPA has. And seven people came up with all sorts of different interesting results. Um, but I draw your attention to just one comment. And this particular individual, and all these guys are, are guys and gals here, outstanding toxicologists, medical people, researchers, they're all, every single one of the PhDs, not that um, that means they're an expert, but it means they have a lot of experience. And he said, this is one of the most comprehensive health effects documents I've ever reviewed, but he also said this, I do have real problems with the scientific basis and soundness of certain conclusions in the document. And unless you're a medical professional, and my brother-in-law is, uh, is such a guy, so I lean on him heavily over the years in understanding risk in public health. Um, it's, it's a difficult document to read. But the point, Dean, is the peer review folks said, not so fast, EPA. We recognize this is a problem, but we honestly don't understand it. And we also know it's not the biggest fish in the room. Um, and just an overview, I already mentioned this, patented in 67, discontinued in 2002, phased out in the public sphere by 2015. It's pretty much no longer used in public firefighting foams unless there's somebody's got stuff in the reserves for whatever reason. Um, it's still used on military bases. Military is simultaneously cleaning up the stuff, and they're the single biggest users. I spoke with uh, Kevin Whalen. Kevin helped select your current fire chief. He was the <coughs> fire captain in Colorado River Basin for many years. He's now retired. And he said, for airport training now, they have to go to military bases because there isn't a private airport anywhere in the country that uses these bombs anymore. So it been probably the biggest take home here is that these foreign free firefighting foams are available and have been for close to 20 years now. And that's the summary of that, the third point that was brought up, the question was, was about explosions. I didn't count the number of houses in the watershed protection area or the number of cars on Highway 40 or 131, but explosions here are no different than a private residence, um, and I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Uh, 
You asked about business plan, and, and we have proposed uh, some components of a business plan that, that were relevant that you asked about. the hours of operation. We propose 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. There'll be one full-time employee uh, who will also be the caretaker on site, and then uh, obviously contractors as needed for various work on the site. Um, the security, we, we do have fencing and gates on the site plan, so it will be um, it will be fenced and secured, um, and there'll be gates so that as the it's challenging because the uh, core trails are coming through the middle, so we've got to make sure that you know there's fencing along there and then the bridge to. Uh, because the public will be coming right through the middle of the site. But, but that has been proposed and it's on the site plan that we have uh, submitted. Uh, so the final point here is there's two conditions of approval. Uh, actually, we'd like them both deleted, number one, uh, number eight, and number 10. Number eight has to do with uh, obtaining the water, uh, a condition of approval that says we need to obtain the water protection permit from the city. It's redundant. It's not necessary uh, that the county put that condition on. Uh, we understand we're in the process, um, but I think it's cleaner and um, makes more sense if that condition is removed from your approval. Number 10 we talked about last time. It says all access um, has to comply with the CDOT uh, access control plan. Again, we do. We have proposed this. Um, we do comply. We have proposed this access now, as I mentioned, to lot two. So that provides a means for lot two to, to have access out to Doherty Road and then do left turns or full full at the intersection. That's a new intersection out here. So we're asking that those two um, <coughs> conditions be deleted and uh, we appreciate your hearing us and we, we feel that we have addressed all the issues. Um, we worked very hard at it. Um, as you can tell from, from all these revisions, and uh, our project team members are here to answer any questions, but we respectfully ask for your approval this evening. Commissioner's questions for the petitioner. <clears throat> Mr. Patton? Yes. Would you mind going back to the bridge slide? <clears throat> Um, third bullet point, it said uh, <clears throat> Doug Schaefer would approve the bridge provided three conditions were met. I'm seeing two. What's the third? It's a, it's a these. These. I'm uh, not wearing my contacts today. There we go. <laughs> I got some reading glass. That's well, not going to distance. Yeah. yeah. That, that helps. <clears throat> I did have a couple of other questions. I, I do want to thank you for going back to the drawing board. I'm pretty pleased with what I'm seeing here. Um, 
Mr. Chair, I think my other questions are for staff. So, why don't you do staff? Okay. Um, Christy, I think I heard you had an update on the core trail and maybe some other things. Yes. Um, so, page 19 of the staff packet are <coughs> comments from Craig Robinson. Uh, the concern came from public comment during the June 6th meeting where one of the adjacent property owners uh, brought up that the location of the core trail that is being proposed is different from what is shown in the open <coughs> space and trails master plan. I spoke to Craig Robinson about this and he informed me, which he also put in his comments, is that the trail shown in the plan is conceptual in nature and that they work with property owners on a case-by-case -case basis for exact alignment of the trail. Um, for the trail to go um, west, which um, was, I think, what was shown in the plan, wouldn't work out for the city. There's many challenges, specifically with two river crossings, the cost of that. Um, they did review the location of the core trail during conceptual. They were fine with the location at that time, and they reviewed it again during final, and they continue and maintain their, um, their support for this trail location. They did say that they had conversations in the past with the adjacent property owner as to the exact alignment, um, but as it was explained at that time, um, as it was explained at that time to the applicants that the trail alignment would be worked out at a later date, and it was assumed that this location would be okay with that property owner due to the fact that there is already a trail in place at this exact location on the adjacent property. Um, Craig Robinson was going to reach out to that property owner and they were going to have some final discussions um, moving forward, but at this point in time, they are supportive of the location as proposed. In that vein, the adjacent property owner is Mr. MacArthur? That's correct. Okay. <laughs> and does what you're saying jive with what Mr. MacArthur was saying last time around? Because there was some statement by Mr. MacArthur that if he goes here, he wouldn't allow it on his property there, and so on and so forth. Correct. So he was, Mr. MacArthur was saying that this proposed trail that would go to the middle of his property, that he wouldn't support a continuation of the trail at that location. Uh, Craig was not concerned by those comments. Um, they were going to reach out to him, and um, the fact that they have supportive money uh, for a trail system they may be able to continue the trail to the north if need be or have negotiations with him moving forward for this exact location. But they do have, um, they're investigating different alignments, but um, as it goes, they're kind of looking to take what they can get at this point in time. Okay. Um. Mr. Courier, it sounded like, would you mind approaching the point? Thanks. It sounded to me from <clears throat> reading your report, and thank you for making your presentation interactive. I love those. It breaks it up a little bit, but uh, it sounded like from reading your report that 
Uh, in order to make any definitive determination as to uh, any runoff effects and so on and so forth, that you would need more information from the city going back from 2018 or 2008 when the water studies began? Try 1983. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but the bottom line is, my question is, it seems that in order for <clears throat> you to make any determination that, that you would need more information. Yeah, and this is as good a time to, as any to tell you what I've gotten. The city's given me what Mount Warner has readily available. Plus, in this day and age, all uh, public water utilities, they just thought, they just load stuff up to the CDPHE, Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment's website. And so those records are available there. So they provided recent information, and in probably the most significant is starting in about 2014, the uh, state started regulating the all the, all the infiltration galleries. And I you need to be careful how you communicate this. It's called, it's a groundwater source that has direct influence from the surface. Now, that doesn't mean there's contamination. That doesn't mean that at all. What that means is that the state takes a view and says, if a cow walked out there, we could have problems with E. coli, or an elk, or any ruminant, or human being, even though these infiltration galleries are 30, 35 feet deep. So for years and years and years, the city hasn't worried about it. Now Warner hasn't worried about it. So now they're on the radar screen with CDPHE, so that changes what they test for. But it doesn't change it a lot. They have some raw water data, but it's really high quality water, so they don't have a lot. And how, and just how that whole process works is CDPHE is, they actually work with municipalities and water providers. If you have a super clean water, you don't have to test every 10 minutes or every three weeks, or some things you don't even test for every two, three years. Um, for instance, uranium is one that you just rarely test for unless you have a reason to believe that there's some strange geologic phenomena going on. You might do that every five years or every ten years. And it depends on where you're at. Um, it's not an issue in this town. So they provided information, and what did surprise me, though, is that they had never sampled for any volatile organics. Specifically, there are tests you can do that will, that will be, there are precursor tests that allow you to find out if there's any sort of organic that's ever happened. We're talking things like 2,4-D and Roundup. Those would be your most prevalent in a, any sort of ag system. They're, they're just prevalent in Western Colorado. They're prevalent in any place there's agriculture in the first world. And but they don't have problems with that on the output side. That's probably the most important thing, is the water that they provide to the citizens <coughs> of the area, it's a non-issue. And the fact that they've never tested for it on the input side tells me that CDPH says, 
hey, it's a non-issue there, no need. That's all good. So that's what I know at this point. We're still in the process of, of finalizing discussions with uh, the city. And, uh, but yeah, it's an excellent water supply. And I, I'm not sure I answered your question. <laughs> I, I think you did, but um, to be clear, is there more information that you require before rendering an opinion that the proposed project is going to be safe to the watershed and the surrounding aquifers? I'm perfectly comfortable saying, standing there right now saying it's not going to have any measurable impact on this project will not have any measurable impact on the aquifers on the water system. Perfectly comfortable saying that. Thank you. Mr. Chair, nothing else for me for the moment. Um, Commissioners? John. Uh, Mr. Courier, um, I appreciate your history. That kind of thing is always interesting. But have you gotten the information, the additional data needed for adequate review that you cite at the beginning, your page 3, our packet page 15, and it continues into your page 4, our packet page 16? You list a whole bunch of items. Have you received that information? And is that the basis of your confidence, or what? I've received what they have, which is about half of what's on that list, because, as I just said, a lot of things they've never sampled for. But we know it's not an issue because their treated water, it's not an issue if that makes any sense. For instance, volatile organic, there's special ways that you have to go through to treat that. The Mount Warner system does not, to my knowledge, is not set up in any way, shape, or form to handle that sort of thing. They don't use reverse osmosis. They don't use membrane filtration. And so, in other words, volatile organics are not something that is an issue which speaks to the quality of the water in the Yampa and in Fish Creek. So I wanted to know if they had that information because doing baseline information, I guess I've worked on too many hazardous waste sites. You always use baseline information. I was a little surprised they don't have it. But then again, I've worked with CDPHE for almost 40 years, 37 and a half. I'm not terribly surprised. But they're pragmatic. So is it an issue? No. So they didn't provide everything I asked for because it doesn't exist. However, making my decision based on the quality that they have, they gave me good new hydrogeologic information. It was just Jeff last January that shows that there is a, the, the um, infiltration water in infiltration galleries get their water from the river rather quickly. It's a matter of weeks or you know, it, it, two to four weeks is pretty normal, not 10 years kind of thing. And in terms of, in terms of making my um, assessment, my comment that I'm not concerned about the impact of this project, there's a number of hydrogeology factors you take in, you have to take into account. How tight is the aquifer? I gave you a demonstration here. Well, that, those little green sponges are pretty uh, heterogeneous. They're pretty uniform. 
The sands and gravels in this valley are anything but that. If any of you have been in a gravel pit, and I'm sure most of you have at some point, you will know that if you just look around. You'll have a pocket of silts that are as tight as can be. Next to it, you have a pocket of six-inch gravel that runs water like crazy. Then over here, you have some sand, silver, clay. Eh, it just weeps water. Same sort of thing at the infiltration galleries. When the river's up here and you're 30, you're, you've got a hole in the ground 100 feet away, 30 feet down, how do you keep the water from coming up while you're building an infiltration gallery? Well, the answer is, is the soils in between are relatively tight. The fact that they can only get 1,250 gallons right now out of those infiltration galleries is a testament to how tight it is. More history. Why did they put those galleries in in the first place? Well, it was because the wells they had simply couldn't keep up with demand. And the district and the city historically have just used those galleries this time of year, July, August, September, when the river, when Fish Creek is low, just to supplement, supplement um, summer water. The push right now, as I understand it, is to have a redundant system to Fish Creek. I applaud that. That's, that's a great idea. Because what happens if we have a forest fire in a Fish Creek basin and we have to shut down the Fish Creek plant? Well, it'd be nice to go to this system. Not every city has the ability to be redundant. This is great. Go for it. So back to the question, and, 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 and your question is a good one. You know, why do I feel so certain it's not going to have an impact? You have tremendous filtration in those tight soils. Additionally, if there was some catastrophic failure, let's say the apartments next door just completely burned down, 10 lightning strikes all at once, boom, burned down, or uh, heaven help us, there's two, two tankers with, with fuel collide head on coming down rabbit, rabbit ears. There's the ability of redundancy with the water system because we have fish and we have the infiltration galleries. Anytime there's a hazardous spill of any sort around a municipal intake, they go into, the operators go into high alert, and one of the things they will do, if they need to, is they will shut the system down and say, hey, residents, we've got an emergency. This is what you need to do. Work with us on it. There's not a municipality in Colorado that doesn't have that plan in place. Now, so back to the aquifer. What happens if you shut it down? Well, what I didn't show you with those little green sponges is if I put a straw in there, I could suck that water out. That's exactly what those galleries are doing. So when they're operating, they're sucking water from the river towards those galleries. If you turn them off, that stops. And so if you have a spill coming down rabbit ears, 131, in this neighborhood, deep arcade, doesn't matter where, haymaker. You can shut them off, get that contamination under control. Think about what happened in Drango a couple of years ago when the Gold King mine blew out. They shut down water systems, it flushed through. Turns out the long-term impact of that was a lot less than the initial scare. The initial scare was pretty horrific. The long-term concern turns out it's not nearly as bad as people thought it would be. Anyway, 
And so that's why, based on all those factors, based on my experience on a number of water projects, and I've worked on virtually every deep excavation in this valley, every gravel pit at some point, providing hydrogeology expertise, water rights, and I feel like I know these soils in this valley really well. Um, so based on all that experience, that's why I say I'm not concerned. Well, two things then. One, we have a representative from Steamboat Springs, and I wonder if that representative would have a comment on data that you say has never existed. And then two, while I appreciate the historical background on this, um, it, it doesn't answer many of the Leonard Rice engineer's questions that I thought you were going to be responding to. And that's disappointing, if interesting. Can you elaborate on which questions I well, I mean, need to I'm respond gonna, to? I'm going to let my colleagues here, when we come to a vote, see if, if those things... Because the Leonard Rice engineer's thing was pretty straightforward in, uh, in it, the risks that it presents, uh, that this project presents. And, and I just don't feel you've addressed that. I mean, I could go through it line by line, but I suspect you feel you've answered with your experience leading to your confidence that there's just no problem here. And I'm, I'm going to let my colleagues here make their own decision, but I'm, I'm disappointed in this presentation at this point. Understood. Do you want me to respond to that? Or? Good evening, Michelle Carr, City of Steamboat Springs Distribution and Collection Manager. Um, your question, I believe, was about the lack of um, sampling for volatile organic um, constituents that Mr. Courier had mentioned. Um, I think he kind of spoke to that uh, in the fact that it is a very clean water source um, and using this watershed protection permit is how we protect it and tried to keep those things out of the water. Um, therefore, unless we have reason to believe such as an event that might occur within the vicinity of the, uh, the infiltration galleries, we would have no reason to test for that sort of thing. We fully comply with all of our testing requirements with what's required by the state, which comes down through the EPA for a public water uh, drinking water source. So those are the things that we test for, um, unless we otherwise have a reason um, to test for something else, then we would not uh, go about testing for things on our own without the direction of CDP, AG. Even given <clears throat> with the testimony that some VOCs like Roundup and 2,4-D that are prevalent in agricultural settings, much like the Ampa Valley, would more than likely be showing up in our system? Um, I, I hesitate to believe that those have never been tested for. I would imagine once, uh, at some point, when they were thinking about um, using that water source, that may have been tested for. That's way before my time, and, and, and uh, something that is not available in the documents that I have. Uh, but I imagine that they would have done a wider range of testing when they were looking at using the water source for public drinking water. 
And at that time, I'm guessing that they would have uh, decided that we didn't need to treat for them because they weren't prevalent at uh, levels that were uh, of concern. Thank you. Thank you. Other questions, commissioners? Right. <clears throat> I agree. There's just reading black and white and hearing uh, Paul Carrier's presentation. There's unquestionably a conflict here, just from a layperson viewpoint, that the letter from uh, David Coleman uh, with Leonard Rice is pretty clearly, if I'm reading black and white, stating that there's uh, a water significant well yield and water quality risk. That's what the letter is stating. And uh, he states here, the development plan provided include over 2.5 acres of impermeable surface within 50 feet of the existing galleries. If I understood your presentation correctly, and I'm, I, I'm somewhat in the math, that the decimal points and all the zeros is indicating that the, the water yield off the Darty property is insignificant compared to the water yield of the basin as a whole. I think that was the principle you were trying to put forth there. Um, I think the primary question here, and was last time, is this particular site, although insignificant to the overall watershed, is directly adjacent to some of the infiltration gallery. And that's the question. If there was a spill of any sort or a structural fire, as described in this letter, and the firefighters came out and they're spraying stuff all over the place, what is the impact on something that close to the, the wellheads. I think that's my primary question. It was last time. And it's my, by the way, you did a great job on the rest of it. I, I thought, you know, the rest of it, I, that was never my issue. So it's all about a significant pollutant event, what would happen. Brian, do you want me to break those up into quantity and then quality, or? Well, both. Yeah, what, what okay. would be the effect on, because the, the, this letter from Leonard Rice is saying there's an impact on both the impermeable surfaces, and I don't know if I buy that argument, but that's another one. But Sure. Yeah, but the quality, and then you described the Storm King event, and that's all true, I'm sure, but there was a significant economic cost to the city of Durango and all the surrounding areas when that event happened. Longer term, yes, the thing healed itself. But short term, you know, what would happen if there was a significant event on the site? Okay, I'm going to go back and reiterate what I showed in my presentation. The reason, hang on a second. reminded me that Colvin's letter from Leonard Rice didn't actually include any data. It just included assertions. And that's why I wanted actual data because I needed to understand what was going on. We can make assertions all day long based on fear. However, actual data can assuage a whole lot of fears. The reason I showed you, and I'm holding it in my hand for the audio record, my little demonstration of the aquifer. The reason I showed you this was the reason the 2.5 acres is inconsequential in terms of water yield to the aquifers is twofold. 
one, it doesn't receive enough precipitation to even begin to feed those aquifers. This 2.5 acres receives about 1.7 acre feet of water that would be available somehow, some way, either to go down the river or go to the infiltration galleries. In any given day, this time of year, right now, they're pumping upwards of six acre feet. You would completely... So the, the water quantity, the water comes from someplace else. That was the point of my presentation when I dumped water on these sponges. Water comes from the river. Colvin and his partners, his colleagues, letter back January says, and that's one of the pieces of data they did provide, said, hey, we're looking at expanding this the gallery for the city. They did, a, they did an actual aquifer test and said, yeah, water comes from the river. So I just repeat now what I said earlier, the water comes from the river. So how that plays into water quality. I didn't spend any time, I didn't show you a slide of the watershed protection areas that um, McLaughlin engineers came up with in 2002. It's not incorrect, but it's highly incomplete. It shows a cone of two, five, and 10-year zones that goes up towards Haymaker and Priest Creek. We know now, and I would believe that uh, the folks, the good folks in civil design consultants and others here in town already knew 20 years ago, but what we know, what Leonard Rice has finally convinced the city of is that, hey, there's a pretty direct connection to the river here for these infiltration galleries. Those of us who've worked up here have known that for decades. So where that watershed protection map is in error is it should include a lot more, in my opinion, a lot more of Walton Creek. should include the Yapa River all the way up towards the Catamount Turnoff, five miles south of this area. So water quality, why is, why is the river, the hydraulics of the river important? Because in a big event, explosion, automobile accident, whatever, is that water going to get in the aquifer? Nothing that can't be managed. That kind of thing happens, unfortunately, too frequently. The industry, engineering, and construction industry, and scientific <coughs> industries come up with all sorts of ways to treat the situation if you have a, a petrochemical spill, a hazardous waste spill, so that it doesn't contaminate groundwater, so it's controlled. If it gets into the river, sometimes stuff will flush on downstream, which is not what you want, but that's exactly what happened in the Animus River. And for instance, in that case, we know that things have improved dramatically over a period of three or four years. Um, with the public water system, you can't wait three or four years, so you have to come up with alternate treatment mechanisms if the worst case happens. This is a residential storage unit that's being proposed. The stuff that's going to be in there is absolutely no different than what's in residential houses that are in the watershed protection area right now. Absolutely no different. 
So in terms of water quality and then the foam, I addressed the foam issue. It's a non-issue. People use non-toxic foams in this day and age. So it's, it's just not... The issue is raised by Mr. Colvin. It does apply to military bases. It does not apply to... Steamboat Springs Fire Department. Okay. Any other questions? Uh, Mr. Patton, could you, for my benefit, explain to me why you think there should be a uh, not a waiver? Why we should? Why condition number ten should be taken off? Yes, please. Um, I believe that condition was included in the conceptual PUD plan. Okay, and on the surface of it, it's, it's, it's a logical condition, but it's already a requirement. We don't have an option. <laughs> to not comply with the CDOT access plan. So we got comment from Mr. Rusin, Dan Rusin. Um, the plan as proposed complied, let me, this is trying to state it extremely simply. The plan as proposed complies with the CDOT ACP. We don't need a condition of approval that says it shall. So that kind of works both ways. The fact that it's in there hurts nothing either. At this point, probably I mean, not. I mean, it's just a case of another 10 words. Somebody reading that may say, hmm, why, what's wrong with the plan? Why doesn't it comply? They must have to do something because they put that condition in. They must have to change the plan to, and do something to comply. It's, it's it's unnecessary and it's redundant just like number eight. I don't understand why number eight is redundant. Well, we could list in these conditions of approval all regulations, federal, state, local, regional, national, whatever, that have to be complied with. But how much paper do you want to waste? It, it's, it's, we, we have to get that permit. It, it does, the county doesn't need to put it as a condition of approval. We're already in the process. I understand your position. Thank you. Any other questions? Any for staff? I'm going to open it up to public comment. However, keep in mind, public comment would be limited to the 12 items, I believe, that were really a requirement of this table. Um, nine items. Sorry, the nine, nine <laughs> items. Um, you're right. The nine items found on page one of the So with that thought in mind, uh, and I'll open up for public comment. Please. 
And please state your name for the record, please. My name is David Randalls. I was here last meeting. Uh, affiliated or living in River Place, also just a resident here in Steamboat. Uh, just address a few points that is pertinent. Um, we talked about the one balloon, the yellow marker. I've got a sticky note here. If we like show and tell, that's like one balloon from US 40. So we're not looking at a building, we're looking at one balloon. Additionally, uh, regarding that's the visibility. The photos, again, I get the point. They've done the job. You actually did a great job. But again, one balloon does not help. Also, what additional traffic flows will occur with CDOT? I know this is a, a contention piece. I get you want to get it removed. But the question is, it's a condition for the residents, too, as well, with Dory Road. What does that then look like from a traffic flow piece if it's a right-in, right-out for the nursery? It's going to add more traffic flow to this very narrow, highly used road because of the church. We have par parking now all the way down Dirty Road from when the church is in session. It becomes an issue. We at River Place have put up speed bumps on the private road just to slow down the churchgoers. And they're great. They're great residents and tenants with us, but again, we do have issues there. That being said, uh, DBRK, I know the storage facility keeps coming up in about their permit and their water right or water protection permit. I think the distance from debarcade to the river is substantially greater than what it actually is from, we're, we're building on top of Gamma basically. And so yes, there is concern. We're putting potentially an access to a number of storage units before the community as a whole in taking care of its long-term use of the water and the protection. I mean, that is a big deal. Three, five years from now, if we have to go test and we find there's an issue with the storage facility, guess what? We're all right here making a decision, at least first step. That can impact that. Last, River Place is always going to have a concern regarding the traffic, the light pollution, and the visibility. Specifically landscaping, I get they've addressed returning and adjusting build, like buildings. They've added a few trees in, but again, going back to what a yellow balloon like looks like in a high foliage area in the middle of summer, Come winter, trees are stripped. That visibility is much different. We need to look at what that real visibility and impact looks like, especially on the Valley View, what that access to driving down gravitators and across 14 when you see it. Um, when you have to ask the residents and the community as a whole to help if there is a catastrophic event, for one storage unit, I think you just said it was, we have turned to the community to make exceptions. Why should the community have to be asked to do more when we can turn to you and say, park this. This is not what's good for the community and the water infiltration system. You do your part by shutting this down and make the exception and the consideration for the community and its water sources as a whole. If fishery falls goes down, it's even written up from some studies, they will be leaning on the Mount Warner well fields for most of the city's water. And so this is what we're putting at jeopardy. That's all I got. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Next, please. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Michelle Carr. Um, just wanted to inform you, we have informed the applicant based on uh, their resubmittal that um, our denial of the watershed protection permit still stands based on our extensive 
uh, the, the extensive study that's already been done in that area. Um, and we have informed them that it's up to them to, at this point, let us know if they would like to set a hearing date with City Council. And, and we would hear uh, additional um, information if they had that. But at this time, we are still denying the permit. I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you. Any other comments from the public? Hearing none, I'll close that, uh, this portion of the hearing this evening. Roundtable. Um, a couple of comments from me, however. First, I don't know where your heads are at, but I think in terms of the petitioner's request to have um, condition number eight and number ten removed, I recognize his comments and understand the redundancy comment. However, it seems to me that it would be Oh, I think it's somewhat careless on our part if we did remove those. In part, I'm thinking about debarquet was obligated to get the permit. I see no difference here. So to that extent, I lead in. And I think the fact that um, a Highway 40 access permit and control plan is in place, I recognize it's there, so why put it in language? But in my opinion, you know, it's two lines of typewritten words, and that's the end of that. Uh, other than that, I think the petitioner did a nice job in terms of responding to um, the request that ultimately resulted in the tabling here. But now I'm anxious to hear from you all, because remember, I'm a little bit at a disadvantage. So, great, because you're on the end and I'm looking at you. Yep. Good start. All right. Well, I kind of feel with uh, the same statements that I had before, that this use uh, does fit and that it is probably better than residential uh, development uh, for the Mostly because of fire dangers and different things like that. I feel like a storage unit in the area is safe or um, more safe or as safe as a residential unit. It is zoned for residential units uh, around there. Um, I also feel, uh, like you said, um, that 8 and 10 do need to be in there, even if it is redundant. Um, I feel like the watershed protection permit is the quality of our water system and how we protect it for our city. So with that, I would want that redundancy so that something doesn't get curtailed or anything like that in the future where they can find any kind of loop around. I want that set hardened uh, <coughs> that we have some kind of quality assurance in that. Uh, same thing with the number 10. I feel like the access control plan, um, that I don't want that to get curtailed and then have something happen where this development plan gets approved then as is. And so then later on in the future, then they would have to, once they get another development plan, then need to follow that access plan. We have it now in front of us. We know that this is going to be happening. So I like that language in um, with our conditions. Uh, outside of that, I think I'm in support for it as long as the watershed protection permit uh, goes through the city. I understand that that is very contentious with the city and that uh, the city has already basically said no and they'll probably more than likely go to the city council. I think you have a hard road ahead of you guys. 
to convince other people, not just us, about that. And those people with a lot more knowledge of the engineering and different things like that have already come, you know, on two sides. And so convincing that the city council, and it doesn't sound like uh, the uh, city right now is going to uh, allow it. So in, in that regards, I think it's up to them to decide if this is safe or not. Great, Brian. Yeah, this is always an interesting question: the cart before the horse, because the watershed permit is not in place, and so you wonder, as a volunteer on a planning commission, what are we doing, sitting here for the second time, listening to an application that the primary piece of the puzzle is in place? Um, and I had picked up on the balloon deal that they're deciduous trees, and yeah, you can't see it this time of year, but you might see them in the winter. My concerns are still all down to the water. I do wonder, without knowing the answer, what happens if this commission approves this application and the city turns it down for lack of a watershed permit? Have we vested any rights in the applicant? And that's that, that's my question. If we haven't, I'm okay with passing it. If we have vested rights without that approval, I have issues with it. Who I think I've almost answered that question for you. Okay. If the, if, if the condition stays in place and the permit's not issued, I think that, that goes away. Yeah. Did I misspeak? Um, Did I misspeak? No, that was correct. Sorry? You're correct. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. we leave item eight in, yeah. and it, it's tied directly to the thing. Yes. And I mean, my personal opinion, again, my personal opinion, even with eight not in there, and there's no watershed permission. Still think we could Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's just, trying to thank you. Yeah. I think but, the last time we talked a little bit about leaving certain conditions in because they immoralize the importance of that within the permit and, and with respect to the redundancy because we require that all permits be obtained. So I think that's kind of... A discussion that was had and that I could buy part of that discussion as the reason for leaving them in. So you're getting back to my point only differently. I'm just filling you in on what I, sure. I believe we talked about sure. the last time. So continue on, Brian. Or you so no, the only other thing on <coughs> item 10 is I like the wording of that because I've done a lot of work for CDOT over the years, and it's generic enough that it may not even be the current access control plan that we're talking about. So we're, oh. yeah, yeah, that, that, that could change. So that one, I, I, I see what Peter's saying, but it may not even be this plan we're dealing with. So I'm okay with leaving that one in. And those are my comments. Thank you. Um, John? Um, I simply agree with all the commissioners that have spoken that the uh, general conditions 8 and 10 are not only not redundant, but they're vital and integral to this proposal. So they obviously should remain. And I have nothing more to say. I've already expressed my concerns about the, uh, the two water engineering reports not satisfying my concerns about health, safety, and welfare. 
in the best interests of the county residents. So I won't add anything more at this point until I vote. Okay. Andy? Um, I, I generally agree with what's been said before. Um, I do differ on the city's consultant letter. Um, I do find its lack of actual facts and information not there, so I'm not sure how he came to the conclusions that he came to. Um, some of the reports that he references in here talk about how the water comes from 35 feet down and the, the river is the primary source and surface water is not the primary contributor to that aquifer. Um, recognizing the potential for surface contamination always. Um, but I believe in engineering and best management practices. I believe in science and it's important to note that on this plan there are you know, the, the letter specifically talks about impacts to the yield. There's detention basins, detention and retention basins, and those basins collect the water, they allow it to slow down, bad things precipitate out, water goes into the river. So you're not allowed to like harvest and take the water. So you're actually not removing <laughs> water from the system. I'm sure part of it is lost through evaporation, the way that the asphalt works and roofs, but again, I agree that the impact to the yield is probably minimal. And I also respect what the, what the applicant's consultant said, that the watershed as a whole is a larger contributor, and I think we have a lot bigger problems to address. So I, I tend to disagree with what this letter says. Um, I also still have an issue that this is within the urban growth boundary and the city refuses to deal with this problem. And it gets kicked to us and it puts us in this position. I, one thing I didn't see in the minutes from last time was a, a comment that Chad made about how we got to this point. There have been several ideas floated for this site and the planning director's advice was find what is allowed on this site and make a proposal. And there is not a lot of things that are allowed to happen on this site. And they have to propose something that falls within all of our regulations and codes. They provide best management practices to deal with it. I think that should be allowed to go forward. Thank you. I'm <laughs> Nothing you look like you're pretty relaxed. I tried to. Okay. Uh, so, in terms of your position on the petition, as it stands. Um, well, I would note that the last time around, the applicant indicated that they were fine with all of the conditions except for number ten. So, I don't think eight should even be part of the discussion that said, I think for the purposes of um, complying with the zoning and subdivision regulations that it meets those criteria now, and I thank the applicant for going back to the board and uh, working on those, but redundant, superfluous or not, uh, I think the general conditions are fine as written, and I think the petition should be approved. Okay. Um. And I've already made my comments, I think, in terms of compliments to the petitioner in terms of addressing the nine issues that were out there, number one, number two. I've already stated my position on the 
conditions number eight and number ten. I did one additional comment uh, specific to number eight. It strikes me that, and John, I think you sort of hit it on the head as well. We have what we have going here is the classic um, engineer A versus engineer B. And I'm not sure that any of us at this table are in a position to respond and or resolve those. We let the engineering committee work that through. I do think, Andy, your comments specific to the engineering report or comments from the city were accurate, too. I found them to be generic in nature. And I think the petitioner did a nice job of giving us as much interest, as much information as we can absorb on hydrology. So to that extent, do a nice job. Um, any other comments or questions? Good. I think it's point in time. And having said that, the chair will entertain a motion. Mr. Chair, I move that we approve PL 143.18, final PUD and lot line adjustment for the priority PUD. We have a motion. Might there be a second? Oh, excuse me. Thank you. Sorry. I caught that just as soon as you spoke up. With findings of fact one through four as written, general conditions one through eleven as written, and specific conditions twelve through twenty, and its subparts as written. Might there be a second? I'll second. Thank you, Greg. Christy, you're raising your hand. Um, <coughs> it's going to suggest an additional condition for your consideration um, for to include hours of operation. Um, that was new information that the applicants submitted as part of their business plan. The hours of seven operation. To 10. Seven to ten thirty, I believe. I thought it was ten. Seven to ten. So we okay, just have a motion to make second. It now, we know, now we know from Robert's Rules of Order, we all have to approve it. That's okay. Because we all own it. <laughs> Sorry. So you're making an amendment to your own motion? No, you, go for it. Just do it. Uh, let's not get quite so formal. Are okay. we agreeing on that? That's where I'm going to go with this. Oh. I'm assuming for the time being that... Our silence is agreement. We're, yeah. we're okay with it. Fine, good. Yeah. Okay. So that would be adding condition, specific condition 21, sir. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Okay. All those in favor, any discussion on the motion as presented? So once again, we have a motion and a second on activity PL-18-143, the Doherty plan, final plan unit and lot line adjustment. All those in favor of the motion, please signify by saying yes. 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 All those opposed, please say no. No. John, would you um, care to expand, please, on your no? Well, I, I pretty much already indicated my concerns that the best interests of the county as far as uh, health, safety, welfare have not been satisfied uh, for me, uh, in um, particularly not in uh, the follow-up engineering report, which, as you said, kind of puts us in an engineering company A versus B. And I also am moved by the, the steamboat position that their denial still stands. So that's, those are the reasons for my note. The denial still stands. Yeah. Okay. 
Understood. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Chair votes yes. Motion carries. We are concluded. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's. <coughs> Twenty. Hmm? Two. 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 Well, we just approved some, but obviously you're on the tubes anyway. It'll be interesting, though, because I mean, now it's city council and uh, county board to decide, decide the Thank you, future of it. Yeah, haven't seen We don't want to give them our. Uh, Good report, though. I'll put the sponge on my head, see if I can work it out. I'm still there. I'm not that You said 12 million a minute. I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts. We pump 5,500 gallons a minute when we're making snow. <laughs> That's a lot of water. That's a lot of snow. Five times of that well pumped. Two minutes. That's the problem that you are, when you're an engineer, you need to get past it and recognize there's a whole public perception. Which I think by now you should know that. What's the famous law? Perception is rock solid, facts are negotiable. <laughs> That's the world we live in. Yeah. I don't always admit it. <laughs> what are you going to do? Oh, there you Okay. Oh. You worked on the one with the... There was the suggestion <laughs> to avoid the evapotranspiration where just cover the double damage. Okay. Yeah. Hearing and raising the It was kind of that's an engineering solution.
have a, they don't have a lady stand by. They have no, in none of their, they, in the decision that they provided, they didn't, they didn't even say why they approved the debar They just said that they approved it. Like, they're going to get their taxes handled. And again, they're getting, they're getting rocked all over the place by their decision. It's great. <laughs> well, yes. I'm proud that on the almost 10 years I've been on this board, no decision that I've ever been a part of has ever been sued. <laughs> In the last three years, the city's been sued at least twice for their decision. Definitely is. You ready to go? All right, so it's good. Of course, you sued. Okay, let's sit down. Because of our You're, decision. You all here? That's a good thing. Sure is. These days. Yeah. Did you make, I mean, you see? I'm sorry. Are you sure that these guys are not the same issue? I will do that. Uh, they've all signed in. They have? Okay. Alan's on it. You've all signed in? Yes. The clipboardy thing? Alright. The clipboardy thing. Yeah. It's a new description. Yeah. Okay, continuing forward on the uh, items for consideration. Yampa Valley Sportsman Education Foundation Conditional Use Permit, Activity PL-19-127. For the petitioner, do you wish to address the commissioners on anything? Oh, before, should I disclose? You may. Okay. Um, before you say anything, I want to disclose that I was a member for about 10 years for the rifle range over there. Um, I am no longer a member, haven't been a member for about four months. I do still feel like I can make an impartial decision on this. Okay. So noted. Thank you, Greg. I... Are you expecting, are, do you have anything to say to the commissioners? How about we answer questions for you? <laughs> okay. I'm going to turn this over to staff. Um, Alan, go. Okay, so this is an application for a conditional use permit for the Yampa Valley Sportsman Education Foundation. They recently took over ownership of the property that the Rock County Rifle Club used to own. Uh, it's the, the shooting range west of town. This range has been operated at this site since about 1946, and the first land use permit obtained was in 1983, and there have been several amendments since then. Mm, this is a new permit. They're not transferring the existing permit, but Nothing is changing. The Rifle Club will operate the range through a lease with the Yampa Valley Sportsman's Education Foundation. And so just for an overview of what takes place on the site, there are 
multiple distant rifle ranges, multiple distant pistol ranges, an archery range, an indoor range, and multiple different discipline of shotgun ranges. Uh, there are hillsides that are used as backdrops to all of the ranges. The so this is a view of the shotgun range that Black Asphalt had are the different shooting areas for one of the disciplines of shotgun shooting. And you can see the, the hillside in the background that is used as a backdrop. And then here is a view from standing along the east property line looking west down towards the, the different ranges. Uh, the shotgun, the, the background to the shotgun range varies in height between 52 feet of elevation gain from the shooting stands in the central area, kind of the low point that you can see in the middle right of the photograph, and then 108 feet above the shooting uh, stands to the, to the far right in this picture. The hours of operation are 7 a.m. till sunset, 365 days a year. There are various trainings, activities, and events that take place on the site. Uh, those include 4-H shoots, law enforcement training, hunter safety classes, and public sight-ins. Amongst all these different trainings, activities, and events, there's an estimate, or that include more than 15 people, they estimated about 110 of those occur per year. CPW does have a storage shed on the property that they store various items in, and there are no complaints about the range on file in the planning department. So the... Rifle Club was involved in some litigation with Steamboat 700 around 2008, and it mainly focused on the, the shotgun range. The NRA, the NRA manual on shotgun range design and state safety says that the minimum horizontal, horizontal distance required for a shotgun range is 300 yards but it doesn't mention anything about the topography of the site. So based on that, it, staff believes that that is for a um, flat site and not one that has any type of vertical relief. And on at, the, at this site, the shortest dis distance to any of the property lines from the shotgun range is 750 feet. There was a test conducted in 2008 that showed shot from the shotgun range has the ability to fall into an area of land that was uh, disputed between Steamboat 700 and the Rifle Club. And as a result of that, the Rifle Club sold this disputed area to Steamboat 700 and a shot fall easement was placed on, placed on this land. And part of this agreement requires that the rifle club cease operation once a certain area of land is annexed into the city. And 99% of that land was recently approved by the city to be annexed. Uh, so because it wasn't 100%, there's 
that clause has not kicked in yet. Uh, there was another test conducted by the Rifle Club several years ago that showed that shock was not falling into this area. And then in February of this year, there was a modified agreement entered into between the Rifle Club, Brain Gray developers of that annexed portion of land, and Steamboat 700, saying that the Rifle Club does not have to cease operation as long as the Rifle Club does not oppose any annexation of Steamboat 700 land into the city. And I would like to stress that all of these agreements are between Steamboat 700 and the Rifle Club, not, not the applicant, the Ampavallis uh, Sportsman Education Foundation. And in the staff packet, there was a statement about mitigating noise from the range. Following distribution of that staff packet, the county attorney informed staff that there's a state statute that protects existing gun ranges from any type of mitigation or threats that are being shut down based on, on noise complaints. So those comments and that issue for discussion should not be discussed because of that state statute. And then the issues for discussion are, is this use still compatible with the surrounding land uses? Um, if the land surrounding the shooting range is annexed and developed at urban densities, should the range be allowed to continue operation? Should there be a cap on the number of events that involve more than 15 people? Um, should the voluntary water testing that is taking place be required, the test results be required to be submitted to the county? And then I'd like to add one other issue for discussion is that, and that is, should an independent third party conduct a shot test to see if there in fact is shot falling in that disputed area? And that's all I've got. Any measures? I got one more thing. Oh, sorry. Staff did reach out to CPW, the sheriff, and the chief of police for the city and got no comment from any of them. That's all. Um, just a point of clarification. There is water testing being done voluntarily, presently. How often? And for what, lead? I'm assuming. Lead. Yes. I'll take, take six samples. Uh, Ken, could you, Ken, could you go up to the microphone, please? Yeah. And then while he's doing that, could you go back to the, the I think it's an aerial. Nah. How about one before that or after that? That one, like that. So now go ahead. Where are you testing? Okay. This little basin is uh, hydrologic boundary for this little drainage that comes all the way through here and then crosses the road and goes into the Yampa River. And it only runs generally from March through maybe the first part in June. But because we're concerned about people claiming that we're polluting the river, we started about well, 10 or 12 years ago, and uh, right now I've been doing the testing, but we've had B&J pump 
take six samples a year, and that's sort of the same schedule that I've been on. And uh, for the most part, there's a background level of lead, but it's half of what public health standards are for drinking water. A background? Really? Yeah, there's always lead there. And we don't know, you know, it's obviously, or I would say, I suspect that it led from bullets and shot. But because of the geology and the fact that the pH level of the water is around 8, it prevents water-soluble lead compounds from forming. So every piece of lead that's ever been shot there is still there. Would you please tell them who you are and what your experience is with regard to water? My name is Kent Holt, and um, I work for the Colorado Division of Water Resources here in the State Engineer's Office for 30-some years. I've been retired for almost 19 years, but I still do some water consulting and kind of a broad nature of things. So, So... Did you include it as a condition? I did not. No. You did not. That's up to us. Okay. Me? You may. I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> yeah. Really appreciate what you've been doing as a good neighbor and concern for the environment. But uh, at some point in time, some whippersnapper is going to take up your place and might not have a background or the desire as you do. Uh, would your organization be opposed to the imposition of a requirement such as that? I don't. It's not a big deal. Okay. That was going to be my question, but okay. <laughs> I just do it because I'm cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Be Frugal's a better word. Yeah, okay, we'll go with frugal. <laughs> uh, go. Sure. So... What's the relationship between the organization, the applicant, and the Rev County Rifle Club? Bill, <laughs> he's my mouthpiece here. Yeah. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, my name is Bill Forbes, um, 1768 Brome Drive, Steve Spring. And the relationship between the Rifle Club and the Yampa Valley Educational Foundation, uh, believe it or not, started 17 years ago. We formed uh, the Educational Foundation 17 years ago with the idea that one day we would be coming before this commission to get and a conditional use permit for the foundation. So we've had this tight relationship forever. Um, this guy that just spoke, this former president of the club, just got off of the board of directors. Ken Constantine is former president of the uh, rival club, member of the board of directors. And um, I've just sort of been hanging around for 25 years. Um, I'm a retired lawyer from Ohio with 33 years of experience in annexation 
municipal corporations. I was a law director for four different uh, cities. But anyway, I'm not here as a lawyer. Uh, I'm just here because I'd like to ensure that the Rifle Club, as we've known it, as your kids have known it, continues. And one of the ways we can do that is to provide for uh, a shield. And that's why we formed the Educational Foundation. If we have an extensive liability issue that involves the rifle club and there's a terrible accident, then uh, we go to the NRA insurance. Well, what happens if it goes beyond the value of the insurance? How are you going to protect and preserve the land and the continued operation uh, until such time as we get surrounded by uses which are not compatible with the right marriage? Well, one of the ways you do that, and our corporate council has advised us that you you provide a shield. So what we're trying to do here tonight um, is to provide that shield, and that's why we want a separate uh, conditional use permit and let the rifle club continue to operate as they have been forever. Um, so I don't know how to get any closer, but it has to be separate from a legal point of view. That is, um, we are all members of the club, but we're not members of the board of directors of the club. This is, the foundation is separate. Does that address your issue? We're getting there. Okay, uh, shoot. No pun intended, right? No <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> So, uh, as currently written, you know, only only one landholder can hold the permit. So the the idea is that the rifle club would be surrendering or transferring the permit to the YV. You're shaking your head, Mr. Chair. I didn't think so. My understanding the, the new permit. Uh, well, it would be surrendered. And surrendered it would be surrendered, but yeah. a new one would be issued. Agreed. And the reason for that is that the foundation does not want to be a successor as a matter of law to the existing permit. We want our own permit so then we can enter into and formalize agreements with the steamboat police, sheriff's <coughs> office, and the Division of Wildlife. As a matter of fact, we have a we have a proposed lease from the Division of Wildlife in our hands now because they're operating uh, without the lease. <laughs> fact is, they forgot to pay the lease uh, amount that was due, but that's a separate issue. So, what we want is uh, to have a separate permit. And then let the uh, uh, rifle club continue on with the operation as they have under uh, a lease agreement, which is already in effect. But the um, Division of Wildlife 
doesn't have these yet. And the government, other governmental agencies are there as a matter of will. And if for some reason that was terminated, I don't know where the steamboat uh, police department would go or the sheriff's department would go for training. So what we'd like to do is to formalize that so that in the future, um, those governmental agencies are protected. So that's why we're here. Is ownership of the land going to be transferred into the foundation? The already already distinct, the foundation already owns the land. The title has been transferred, recorded, so we have a deed to the property. Except for the shot fall area. That's me. Right, so, so what, I'm, what I'm getting at is there, there were these agreements uh, that I think sounded like good agreements in the past, and I'm curious as to how the foundation is bound by them, if at all. I, I don't know. I didn't get your question. I yeah, forgot uh, my hearing aids. The, 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 I apologize. So the Rifle Club was a party to various agreements, binding it to some uh, what I think were very wise agreements, the shop fall easement and so on and so forth. And I'm just trying to follow how the foundation is bound by these agreements. We are not bound by those agreements. I didn't think so. Nor do we intend to be bound by those agreements. Now, does that mean that the uh, rifle club is not still bound by the agreement? Of course they are. But the foundation is not. Because they're not a party to the agreement, nor are we successors to the agreement. To, if I may, I'll say I agree. Ken Constantine, 1035 Mary Street here in town. The, the Rival Club and the Sportsman's Foundation are comprised of overlapping memberships. The, the three of us are on the board of directors of the foundation. None of us are members of the board of directors currently of the Rival Club. The intent of the foundation is certainly to uphold all the agreements, but legally we are a separate entity, as Bill was explaining. So there is no sleight of hand going on here. The purposes are identical. The Route County Rifle Club leases the property and operates the range. We are the landowner of of the property that executed that lease. I'm good for the moment. Okay. I have a question then for you guys. In case of negligence or something like that, then, and say that something happens and building topples or something like that, uh, negligence on one of the two entities, would then you'd still be able to, even though it was complete gross negligence or something like that, still be continued to operate, or would these still, I guess it's more for staff, 
um, would that still be continued to be operating on two different uses and say, oh, this was the rightful club's uh, use, and so now we have to cancel that one, whereas uh, then the other agreement with uh, this new entity would still be able to uh, foster, making it basically saying that uh, we couldn't regulate both of them at the same time. So that was the, we did have that discussion to try to figure out, is there going to be two permits? If there are two permits, who do we go after? Which permit do we go after in case there's concerns or gross negligence or something like that? And so with through discussion with the applicant, uh, we came up with number 16. Condition of approval number 16 states that the if approved, the permit for Yampa Valley Sportsman Education Foundation will not be issued until the permit that the Rifle Club currently holds is surrendered. So that's going to prevent uh, there being two permits and a question of which one do we enforce if there is a, if there is a problem. Well, that's correct. Well, but even go farther, isn't it the classic? The landowner is requesting the permit in this application. Mm -hmm. Is not the landowner at all times responsible for any and all activities that take place on the landowner's property? Well, uh, it, it, the way our enforcement process works is, is we go to the operator who, who signed the permit. Today's permits have the signature of the landowner and the permittee. If they're gotcha. if, if they're different, but but if, if there was a violation and an impasse, and we scheduled a review in front of planning commission for amendment to revocation, it would be the lead, the permit holder that would okay. be here in front of you guys. So then they would be here. As permit holder, yeah. Well, when the tra after the transfer happens within, the yeah, 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 yeah. Period. I get you. Okay. Um, that answer your question. Yeah, I guess. Any other questions? Keep them coming. Right. This technical question on sixteen, I get that one permit goes away, the other comes on. Why does it take a year to turn in the old permit? Uh, just in case they had loose ends that they needed to tie up before they gave up the permit just to give them some wiggle room and leeway into however they need to get those lease agreements in place or other agreements with other entities to make sure everything is in place before the actual permit gets issued. I can eliminate that clip, that answer. For instance, with Parks and Wildlife, um, the Rifle Club had always subleased an acre and a half or so to them. They've got their lean-to, they store their boats, their uh, hay fencing, they've got a lay-down yard, bear traps, uh, and they have two garage bays as part of their <coughs> lean-to. They've been without a lease with us for over a year. Waiting, We've been waiting on their real estate and legal department to draft a new clean lease. At one time, we were renting that to them for $10 a year. Uh, they haven't paid the lease for the last 10 years when it was about $100 a month. Uh, we're friendly neighbors. We want them there. They're one of the law enforcement agencies that trains at the range. And it's been a year that we've been trying to get 
their legal department and real estate department to clean up and offer a lease. We've set out the terms, and they're taking forever and a day. You should collect that, that money. You could pay your attorney and your water consultant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> uh, so that, that's why the overlap. We're still trying to get that cleaned up. And then once that issue is done, we intend to execute uh, agreements separately with the Sheriff's Department, the Police Department, Parks and Wildlife, and the other law enforcement agencies in the, in the county that utilize the range for their training purposes. It is really the only facility in the county that can accommodate law enforcement training, the full spectrum that they need. That's a good explanation. Yeah, a lot of overlapping things. John? Um, well, your, your two organizations certainly have a long and enviable record of, of compliance and safety, even to the point of doing your own volunteer water testing. But just for the record, has there ever been a comprehensive proof of safety involving sight lines and in the amphitheater, as you describe it, done by an independent third party? No, the testing has been done by club members that included engineers. Um, I can't deny I participated in several of those, and I can give you as much detail about them as you would like. Our primary concern is safety, first and foremost, at that gun club. So, uh, berms have been realigned. Heightened, lengthened. Uh, the backstops have been refreshed with clean dirt so we don't get hot spots that uh, ricochet a bullet. We have tested the shot hole zones ourselves. Um, you know, it takes a little bit of confidence in your fellow club member to stand 300 yards down range with your back to them and let them fire a shotgun at you, which is exactly what we've done with. Uh, Radio communication, engineers setting the exact angle of the shot for its maximum distance. And we've done that. We've done that ourselves. And uh, we haven't had anyone independent do it, but we follow the NRA guidelines for ranges. And anytime there an idea comes up, I can attest to having been on the board of directors for 25 years. It's considered carefully. We take additional input from anyone, including neighbors, and we make the necessary changes. And we're continually, we're a nonprofit. It's entirely uh, membership dollar supported. Uh, we don't run any fundraisers, uh, just membership dollars. And we put most of that money into safety improvements on berms, uh, the backstops, etc. Thank you. John? Uh, you said you support the 4-H. 4-H comes out and shoots there as well. There's over 100 Route County youth utilizing the, uh, the range for the 4-H shooting programs um, from ages 6 through high school. And we've said 4-H, um, we usually have a large contingent of about a dozen to 15 going to the state 
finals, and uh, we've got a few of those past graduates uh, that are likely to qualify for the U.S. Olympic team this year. It's also important to note that the national team uh, members from South Route and Route or uh, Moffat County are part of that and just achieved a national title. And I can include Jackson County and Montrose that have been using our facility as well. A couple of questions. <clears throat> Describe to me classically an event that has more than 15 people. Just give me a couple of examples. Saturday morning trap and skeet shooting. Okay. Saturday and Sunday mornings, the club has open shotgunning. It's fairly social. You can shoot as many rounds as you'd like. We have trap skeet and a five stand, so we can have two range shotgun ranges in operation at the same time. Okay. That's one example. The 4 programs are May through September. Um, they train Sunday evening. Sunday afternoon about at 4 o'clock and Monday night at 5. And obviously you probably have multiple events, well, more than one event on a day, I guess. I'm just looking at 110 events. It's two a week. Well, there are pistol ranges, an indoor range, uh, the two shotgun range, all can be used simultaneously. Okay. Next question. Um, I noticed in condition number 15, hours of operation, blah, blah, blah. occasional nighttime use by law enforcement is allowed. Indoor range. Never mind. <laughs> um, all outdoor shooting ceases at sundown. Unlike the hunting laws and regulations, right. it does not extend a half hour beyond sunset. And it's 7 a.m. or sunrise, whichever is later. So in the in the, uh, in the winter, uh, it's still dark at 7. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we're not shooting outside. Did you have another question? I did. But you don't remember? I don't recall what it was. It happens. That was a technical question. I I do too. You go first. So I think I heard you say two, maybe three agreements that the Reich Club was a party to. One was the shot ball agreement. Mm -hmm. Number two uh, was the modified agreement uh, that involved Bryn Gray that was recorded in February of this year. That was the nuclear option that was always referenced in the paper as a part of the, the annexation discussion. And number three? I'm not aware. Okay. Was there a third one? I'm not aware of a third one. I think there's only those Sorry. two. Um, in the, on page 11 to 15, the specific conditions, 19 is crossed out, says this condition has been complied with, and 24 has been crossed out. Are we going to renumber? From 19 down. Of course. And then, so if we did, we would consider a 25. You know, really, if you just refer to the numbers that are there, I'll deal with the renumbering when the time comes. Sweet. How many times have you said that? I don't know about that. <laughs> I can't say that I've ever heard that question asked. Neither have I. It's so. my time on here. 
We're not going to dwell on it. <laughs> we'll I'd like to, at this point in time, out all the public for comment, if there is any. Seeing none, I'm closing the public comment portion. Um, I'm back to Alan for just a minute. Alan, can you pull up? And first of all, so I understand, at one point in time, there was this fallout area of 2.82 acres. But that whole thing is gone now. Uh. No, as far as I understand it, that agreement is still in place, contingent upon the Rifle Club not opposing any annexation of Steamboat 700 land. Yeah, okay. But, but this is where we go back to the parties to the agreement. And we just got information that the foundation, not being a party to the shotfall agreement, assuming the permit, it might as well not exist. Is that true? You are correct that we are Bill Forbes. Um, you are correct that we are not a part of any of the agreements which Alan just referred to, uh, nor do we intend to become a part of those agreements. Um, as to the shotfall agreement, uh, shortfall agreement, my understanding is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ken, but the uh, the shooting has been modified to the point where uh, no shotguns are fired in the direction of where the shortfall agreement applies. Okay. So. Uh, becomes moot. The, the the club has made a modification since the tests were done, so that it's no longer uh, an issue for anybody. Is that your understanding as well? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Go. The rival club has had extensive conversations with Great Gray so, for. Okay. Going on almost three years now? Two, two and a half, going on three years. Two years. Hundreds of hours. And we've talked about uh, compatibility as neighbors, fencing options, safety zones on both sides of the property boundaries. And we have a very good relationship with Green Gray. Don't expect any issues in the future concerning those boundaries and, and shot ball. We both have the same safety concerns for the public uh, and any of the uh, future residents of Bryn Gray West Steamboat neighborhood and our own members as well. There's no shooting off of the regular shooting positions that Bill mentioned have been modified. There's no downrange shooting. You cannot go past the tarmac or the five-stand deck with, and shoot a shotgun. And the pellet sizes allowed all fall within our property boundary. Okay. That's exactly what we've tested for in the past. Okay. I remember my questions. Oh. Um, back to condition 15 that says that you're allowed to have up to 110 events uh, with more than 15 people per year. Is that enough for you? I mean, if you have, if you have ski on Saturday, Sunday is... Uh, Chairman pointed out that 
52 weekends, there you go. That eats it up. Like, yeah, it does. I don't know that there needs to be a limit. It's, um, it's sort of self-regulating. The range can only be used so much at any given time. And with the growth of the 4 inch shooting sports, and we have a Steamboat Craig uh, Invitational uh, that we've done many years, there's really little limit to uh, overuse of the club. We're nowhere near that. We have approximately 600 members. At so, times, it's pushing 700. That includes law enforcement, and uh, membership is open. We have never reached a growth stage yet where membership, where we're putting a limit on it. Um, there's a couple of mornings where you may have to wait your turn to shoot around a ski. That's kind of normal. Thank you for that. And, and so, given the lack of noise complaints, traffic complaints, etc., what was staff's thought process in limiting it to 110 events? That was the number that was provided by the applicant and try to include as much specificity in the conditional use permit to help protect the the applicant in case there are concerns raised by, the, raised by the neighbors and to give neighbors a clear understanding of what is actually allowed. And I do have some suggested changes to number 20 that I think would take that into account. I don't know if you want me to address that now. Or no, not yet. Okay. I want to go through um, a couple of discussion items. One sorry. other question. Um, so if and when um, Green Gray develops. What are the party's plans to put up fencing or whatever else to eliminate uh, the possibility of an attractive nuisance? Do you want to take a stab at that? <laughs> okay. Green Gray representative observing tonight. Um, but, Man, if you could join the club. Michael Marchan, West Demo Neighborhood, Spring Gray. Can you repeat your question? Yeah. What What are you guys going to do, uh, both Rifle Club and Spring Gray, put up fencing or whatever the case may be to make sure that kids don't run from a nearby playground or street down into the Rifle Club? I think this is very off the cusp, so I have not consulted with my team. But at this point, I don't believe that from where our current annexation boundaries are, that that is a concern because there's still a large parcel of land in between where the annexation boundary is and where the gun club's land is. So at this point, I don't want them to be a concern. Michael's correct. Their Steamboat 700 land still separates the two entities. And my addition. And that currently is vacant. Thank you. My modifications to 20 would address that as well. Yeah. And does a does attractive nuisance have a distance from the nuisance <laughs> attached to it? <laughs> Don't even go there. So I, I've got one That's other comment that I would like to make. Sure. I did reach out to Steamboat 700 and Bryn Gray for comments on this. Contacted Steamboat 700's attorney, Bob Weiss, and he put me in touch with 
Bryn Gray and I had a discussion with Bryn Gray and they did not have, they expressed to me they did not have any issues or concerns with this application and did not hear anything from Steve O'Sullivan. So let's just go through the items of discussion so that we just can kind of check them off. And you gentlemen can sit down for that time being. Um, number one is already gone. Number two, is this use compatible with the sound? Yes. Brent? Yeah. John? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Done. I don't know if I even care for the next question. <laughs> what is it, Mr. Chair? The question is number three. I'm not sure if it's a fair question, to be honest with you. And I don't mean to be critical, but the question obviously is if all the land surrounding the shooting range is annexed and developed at urban density, should the range be allowed to continue operation? I, I think my proposal, proposed changes to number 20 will address that. Okay, fine. I don't know that we even have any standing on I don't either. But it's an interesting question. Any comments on it? Let's just kind of move right on past that one. Should it be capped on the number of events that involve more than 15 people? Um, I guess, given the track record, I'm not. Well, I'm not sure that it's an issue. But agreed. Agreed. I like the nods. Agreed. Okay. Fine. Good. And then I think the next one, this number five could, currently the water testing is taking place and done voluntarily. Should the applicant be required to test and submit results to the county? I don't know how the petitioner feels about that, but I think, I've forgotten your name, but you made the comment that you do the testing almost as an insurance policy. What was that? I, you do the testing as an insurance policy so that if someone challenges you and says that you're adversely impacting water, you've got the test results to show that you don't. Yes, true. <clears throat> so would you be adverse to actually having being having that being part of the conditional use permit? No, I don't see. I wouldn't think you would either, because to me, no problem. Again, it's, it's insurance for your benefit or anybody else's. Of course. Okay. I had like an addition of the amendment minimum twice a year. You can even go once if you There's, want. But you got to, you got to, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, they no, don't no, no. It's, it's a right. spring. It's dry. Oh, so once even. Like I said, once a year. Oh, I thought you were just saying twice. I did say twice, okay. a minimum, but you could say a minimum of once. Did you really snow melt? I was just going to say why don't you do it during the spring season. Let's see how come up with the words. There. Oh, you did that already. Oh, in anticipation of that. You're brilliant. <laughs> you guys good with that? Sure. Perfect. Okay. Um, why did I write a number six independent third party? Shot phone. Shot phone. Oh, my question. That was you. Annual test. Comments, commissioners? I think uh, nobody else in 700 or the Bryan uh, annexation really has any kind of, uh, they, they don't care in that little range, so to me it's a mute point. Okay. Well, 
I think to me the question is, the range operators, the petitioner, are already doing sure. everything they can. The question is, do you want somebody from the outside to do it on top of that? Is the question. <clears throat> John seems to think yes. I think number 20 will take care of that. I so can't wait to read it. <laughs> So, I don't think it's a, a, a independent would be necessary. Someone would hire an independent yeah. if they were right. creating it. Right. I'm, I'm good with it. I know that you think you have a fixed word, but I'm interested in your opinion. On the shuffle? Yeah. Independent measuring versus them. Right now, given the orientation of the site and their interest in making sure that it's safe, I don't believe that it needs to be in the boundary. So, is that consensus? No. By consensus, no. Uh, and you've got, in terms of the caps area, you've got that, right? The cap, well, I thought Jeff had that whole. Well, we'll wait for Jeff. The discussion should show the consensus was we didn't need a camera. Yeah, there's okay. no camera. Right so you want me? To, I guess. I ask if you put it up on screen what you're talking about. Are you going to read the motion? Are you just mind? Well, I want to talk about it before. Okay, motion. That's fine. So when are you? Whenever you're ready. Okay, Alan. Could you pull out number 20, please? Yeah. Current 20. Current 20. It's going to be 18. I, I, I like what these guys have said. I think everybody agrees that safety is the number one issue facing all of us. And Alan, you can choose to strike through or follow along however you like. But I believe that the... Paragraph should read, this permit is for the operation as described in the application period. If staff determines that, replace the word said with any. Okay, give me one second. Replace said? Yeah, put, put the word any there. Any changes, eliminate the word not. Uh, so that reads, staff determines that any changes would create impacts to the environment, adjacent property owners, wildlife, etc. Administrative adjustments to the permits may be made, comma. And the rest, the rest of it is fine. The, the intent being that if a neighbor complains uh, about the environment, concerns for safety, the wildlife, whatever, they take it to the planning staff. You guys review it, and if you determine that, hey, this is a valid complaint, it comes back up to us to determine whether or not changes to the CUP need to be made. That, that resolves shot fall issues, noise issues, proximity, urban density. One noise is off the table because of the state statute. Pardon me. But the idea being any issue that may arise those two minor changes, I think, gives our department the ability to address them. And do you really want to say negative impacts or just impacts? Well, negative is a subjective word, but um, you know, I don't think anybody's going to be complaining unless they believe it's negative. 
Just thought I'd ask. I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to it. Uh, but I, I do actually think, uh, now that you mention it, should changes create negative impacts down there, Alan? Keep going down. Right here? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Where no. are you? Third, oh, sentence, right. third sentence. Should the changes create negative impacts that cannot be mitigated? There you go. Because again, that puts it in uh, the planning department's purview to determine whether or not any change is negative or not. And if they can't decide, then it comes back to us for that. So then the question would be if staff, do they have an issue with that language? That's fine. Okay. What does the lawyer think about it? Well, I cannot uh, render a legal opinion. But uh, that is, number 20, is really quite vague, <laughs> uh, to say the least. Um, if, uh, if you insist on having it, I would add all that's provided for by law. Uh, because uh, with respect, uh, your judgment is not final. Uh, your judgment can be reviewed uh, as inconsistent with uh, whatever the state law is at the time and no federal. So uh, if you were to add there, as provided for by law, um, that, that takes away some of the ambiguity there. But it is pretty broadly. Well, can I add a comment on that? I mean, the way I read it and would interpret that one, it actually gives you guys flexibility that if there is a change, I can approve it administratively, that it doesn't have to go back to the planning commission. So I, I think that that's the crux of 20, is okay. that, you know, because without that, I mean, it's it's kind of common that we'll have like an administrative uses and structure can be approved administratively, but if that condition is not in there, a storage shed would have been So I think that that condition provides an easy way to improve small issues. Additionally, there's there's a general condition number four, which says that you guys are going to comply with all state, federal, local laws. Right. And so if the permit is in compliance, if we're going back to uh, what I think you sat through earlier about whether or not certain conditions were superfluous or redundant, I think number five it is. <clears throat> if you're in compliance with those laws, then it ipso facto does not create any impact. Just remember so yeah, that's, that's very good. I, yeah. Just remember that I love it. That's a great legal. We share a similar back. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> we forgive him though. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Any other comments, discussion on the conditions? Any more questions for the petitioner? With that 110 minutes. Yeah, uh, so I'm, based on your discussion, I'm assuming that this bullet point is going to get removed? Yep. And the condition about water testing will get added? Added, please. Yep. I think that was the extent of the changes. That's been discussed so far. Okay. 
with all those changes considered and in place, Chair will entertain a motion. I move for the approval, Mr. Chair, of Activity PL-19-127, YBSEF Conditional Use Permit, with the addition uh, let's see, findings and facts, numbers 1 and 2, general conditions 1 through 12 as written, uh, condition number 13, eliminating the bullet point related to the number of events and the amount of people, uh, condition number 20, being reworded as recently discussed, and the addition of condition number 27 as it relates to water testing. Second the motion. Thank you, John. So, commissioners, we have a motion on the second on PL-19-127, Petitioner Yambavelli Sportsman Education Foundation for a conditional use permit with findings of facts and a number of adjustments and or amendments to the conditions. All those in favor of the motion? Any discussion on the motion? Yeah. Mr. Treasurer. All those in favor of the motion, please signify by saying yes. 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 Opposed, please say no. Uh, chair votes yes. Motion is carried. Petition is approved. Thank you. Good luck, gentlemen. Yep. Mr. Phillips. <laughs> well, you don't want to rush into these things. <laughs> we get that. Believe me. That's okay. It needs to be set up. Thank you. Oh, that's your computer. And it's not. Oh. No, it's just here. Yeah, we just don't talk. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Congratulations. <laughs> It's got to be a little bit, right? Okay, it's really unusual to go upstate and have something like that because that's close proximity to the city limits. No it's pretty nice. Yeah. 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 It's most it's of the five to ten miles out. Along with our look at this junk yard, our recycle yard, have a little bit of yeah, that's going to be interesting to see what that is. All holds. We've got a permit to operate something on the Well, it was a snowmobile, something or other. Oh, really? The last that it was, but now with the annexation, it's kind of all up for grabs. because they have a big part of it. They have like just a little chunk of land, but that little chunk of land is very valuable. Okay. In an attempt to simplify and quantify everything that goes on in the planning department, I came up with this projects list. Nice. Every month, I report to the Board of County Commissioners uh, just as a general planning update. And sometimes it's pretty specific, and sometimes it's just general, like it says. In the past, I had it. Simple list that this one is based off of, um, you know, just to try and keep some of the conversation short. But, uh, you know, and then, well, I guess we can do it. Um, how this thing is broken up, obviously, the front page, as it says, land use applications in process. Some of these you've seen, some of these you haven't yet, some of these maybe administrators you did not see. 
Second is anticipated pre application. That is the one you can't talk about, but we do have information in the office. And, uh, or maybe we've just spent some time on you know, talking with somebody to get an application ready. So a lot of times we don't know more than just you know, the vague information, but because chances are you guys will hear each one of those. Like I said, can't really discuss them, but at least pay those a heads up that according to this, there's 14 of them out there that uh, we know should be in front of you at some point. Long-range planning is, is that next one. Um, just trying to keep track of, you know, master plan for the project. Yes, yes. Going back to anticipated pre-allocation, uh-huh. there's some lines separating 12, 13, 14. That's, this, this thing's a work in progress. Got it. Because you notice like my apply file, nothing is even there yet. It's a formatting issue. Yes. Understood. Sorry about that. Go so, ahead. This thing will probably change a lot, actually. I'm, I'm looking to an app software to put all this in that will give me different reports and stuff. And especially as far as time tracking. I just say to keep track of hours on these. So this, hey, we've actually got a different set of software that does that, but I can't use that to keep track of oh, yeah. everything. So, yeah, I'm kind of trying to, and we get our new land management software on board in a year, and I'm still not quite sure if I can use that to cover everything that I'm doing this and the time tracking software that we have now. So, yeah, anyways. Nice. In the meantime, there's this need for reporting. Code enforcement and permitting, you know, those are active code enforcement cases that we have right now. Um, 19 of them. How's that great? That, that I wish I had that. <laughs> I'll trade you some. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, um, yeah, the form file, you know, again, you'll fill in that column basically just so we can time track again. You know, we have all this information in the individual files that would be good to show that, you know, comprehensively. The ongoing, you know, even though, yeah, those really don't change much. It's just um, mainly that comments um, column that I wanted to share on those, just the you know, building permits right now. We're seeing about seven a week, obviously, wintertime probably taper off a bit. Uh, the planner of the day, it, it still takes up about 23% of our total planner hours, you know, between the four plans. And then uh, our staff meetings, you know, one time a month, excuse me, a week, there's usually two to two and a half hours, depending on um, problems or applications that we have in. And like I added in there, Scott from Environmental Health, Todd from Building Department, and Mike Morty from Road and Bridge are um, typical attendees at those meetings uh, and talking about current projects. The RAS, that's Request for Attorney Services, a form that I have to fill out, you know, and there's going to be considerable time in the attorney's office. Um, uh, not all of those have gotten filled out that form yet, but these are at least um, cases that have brought to the attorney's attention. Most of them are code enforcement. Uh, there may be a couple on there. You know, if it's a plat review, I think it, I usually will leave that under in process. The intergovernmental, you know, just what that says, you know, the area plan coordinating committee, um, you know, if yeah, I heard a rumor that Hayden wants to maybe update their comprehensive plans. I need to approach them. So that would be something that would, that would be tracked in subway plans. Um, that allocation of development requirements money, so that's our fee and blue money for our, all of our subdivisions and lot consolidations. And I guess I'll give you an update on that. The Board of County Commissioners um, 
we've had that money in three different pots, basically, that correspond to the RE1, 2, and 3 school districts. Uh, the board has awarded the money to RE1. There's some Milner money we were hanging on to. RE3 for all the stagecoach and South Route applications. RE2, the board is funded a little more money that the Steamboat Lake monies would stay in Steamboat Lake and the Steamboat area would stay in Steamboat area. So I think we got that information. I think that we got that schedule for you guys. So our fee of money account should be zero here. Uh, divisional water resources, you know, that's kind of an administrative issue, but especially with that information you shared with us about um, availability of well permits and over appropriated areas in the county, um, how would they want to be notified if we got an application for a secondary dwelling unit and they only get one? You know, do they just want to be notified? It would be simple if they were to sign off on building permits. But the Board of County Commissioners has never really wanted to go down that road. I don't know if the state is really comfortable with it, but that's a question that Alan is approaching Division of Resources with. How would you like to be notified and would you like to even be a sign off? And if they got a request as a sign off agency, we would take it to the board and have the board decide. Hold on, but but if someone wants to do it well, they got to issue the permit anyway. So they'd know automatically. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe they're just going to pipe up. Well, get it. Yeah. Okay. You know, because it's, you know, is that something that Scott County should catch, you know, when the building permit process came through? You know, it's... But we don't have a requirement that they have to submit their well permit. You just have, for the building code, you just have to show connection to a water source. Yeah. Whether it be a, a holding tank or a well. But I think the well drillers got to do it. But then the issue we're running into are existing houses that are now applying for secondary That's dwelling animal, units yeah. where they already have their well, they You're have right. it, everything's drilled, everything's in place, all they have to do is run a pipe from the existing well. Yeah. So they've told us before that they want to be in the loop, but what does that mean? as far as enforcement, I mean, and should we go through, you know, building, planning, environmental... But aren't they, aren't they kind of backing off of it just a bit? I don't think so. No. Well, but they just did a stagecoach. Didn't they just say, okay, you can have your wells? But there was the application sign that was part of that application. Well, I think it was they didn't, or their issue was when those subdivisions came through, there was no opinion from the division on the water supply plan. And so they said, they we're not issuing any wells, permits, until we figure out what the water supply plan for those subdivisions are. And for those subdivisions that did not submit a water supply plan, and there's no um, opinion from the division on that plan. They just said, we have these six or seven different categories. If it falls into this category, we're gonna assume the opinion at that time would have been this. And they have that laid out for the seven different categories, so now they have an assumed opinion of what, and a, and a, a stance on what the assumed opinion would have been at that time. And they're issuing well permits based on that. Okay. But if it's out, you know, they have some districts in the county somewhere, there's a, a, a secondary dwelling unit that's being applied for, you know, should we go through and have the applicant go through all the hoops for building plan and environmental health if there's a serious roadblock waiting for them after work? 
But that is a huge deal. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Just so, so anyways, Alan's trying to get the stands from now on how they want to, officially, how they want to be involved with the building improvement process. Um, administrative, yeah, there's quite a bit of stuff on there. Um, some of it involves you guys. Yeah, I'm still looking for John Gagabee pushes a new agent. Did Carl resign? Or? Carl, Carl did. Yeah, his schedule, just like we've seen in the last year, conflicted with a lot of Thursday nights. Uh, we ran the ad for, I think, three weeks and made a presence in Hayden. I called uh, the town of Hayden, and they said, no, just use your process. But we got one applicant, and he isn't even within the town boundary. So I, I called him, and I let him know that things were put on hold. So I mean, basically, I have to start all over again, because I need to give the board an option, at least one option. Or an alternative. So get a couple guys. I know a couple of guys like you can talk to. In it. Yeah. So if they're interested, have a call me. Yeah. And uh, but but I need to get with Ronnie uh, to repost and put the new. It's arbitrary to put the new deadline for you know letters of interest. Which is when? I haven't thought of it. Okay. <laughs> I would say Don't let us slow you down. Yeah. Sometimes. Why do you know it was tomorrow? And no, no, it'll be like. Because okay. we haven't even gotten the ads to the newspaper yet. Expensive. Maybe social media is cheap, but it only gets to so many people. So, but I, I'm going to work on, you know, hope I just hire it from somebody else, but coming up with a, with a recruitment plan for the situation, because this is more the, the exception than the rule. So I think last time, you know, Greg got a plan, the board had many different you know, thought we've had the problem before, like in the end, but it's usually not out of the age of the just not the case. What's the name that I was supposed to identify? So, anyway, so and, and it's Hayden Town Limits you're looking for. You got a resident of Hayden Town yeah. Limits. Uh, well, it doesn't have to be. You know, we, we can change to add that flexibility. So it's just somebody, hopefully, that the town recommends. But if the town it just, it doesn't have anybody, the commissioner's going just put put somebody in that area. So it would be best to have somebody from the town, though. Because John's got the I'm West out position. So we kind of got that covered already, so it'd be good to have a recommendation. So anyways, I have a lot of administrative stuff. There's a lot that, you know, occasionally we update our handbooks, uh, the articles, the association. You know, those are probably 15 years old, so you know, I need to review those with the board sometime and see if they're um, if they believe they're still current. Uh, training sessions, number five, page eight. You know, that's something that in the past it's been more of an as needed or, um, you know, as the agenda gets like, you know, so I've, I've got a list of things, you know, people maybe that we, we would invite in here for a training session. You know, even if it's not specifically for training, but right now I'm working with the our state park managers to come on in and have just a discussion with you guys on, you know, what the state parks are up to and if they've got any plans to make any changes, you know, in construction or whatnot on on the three parks. Uh, the online satisfaction surveys we used to send out paper copies. Um, 
after somebody had taken an application through the process, we're supposed to wasn't bad. We got something in. But we went online, and they just stopped. <laughs> you know, so I've got, I haven't had any. And we've had it maybe a year now. And so I've reminded Ronnie to follow up via email with the link, you know, to encourage more people to use our online uh, survey. Um, yeah, we'll see where that one goes. Now, seven annual reports to the Planning Commission, something I want to talk to Steve about. I had done those in the past, you know, that I didn't really circulate them much. I think there's a lot of good information. You know, it's kind of the year in wrap. There should be nothing that's in here that's not in the year report. But as far as administrative time and time spent on certain projects, um, you know, I can share the one in 2006 with you and see if you think it's, it's worthwhile. Sure. Um, Land use complaint log, that's something that mainly the commissioners ask for, because occasionally they'll get you know, confronted by a citizen, hey, what's up with this thing? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know and so at least if they if they know what we know in the office about any hot spots around the county, um, maybe we've got something to report on. Uh, I mentioned the, the recruitment uh, process. Standardize, standardizing presentation format. Um, and that's something that if you guys think of anything, you know, what you would like to see as far as our PowerPoints, you know, feel free to bring those up. But um, you know, Alan had, you know, I think our logo up there, you know, with a you know, decent looking PowerPoint slide, some of them better than others. But those will be standardized. We're not going to use the same one. So the, the look of all of our presentations will be the same. How Alan had the, the word version of the conditions of approval, so just try changing those on the fly. Anyways, you should see some consistency there. Rub's worksheet, that's something that we're kind of wrapping up. Uh, the consultant came into the office. We just focused on our zoning processes, not subdivision. Created, it was, took us six days or something, but this master flowchart putting all of our zoning processes on one. Once we had that in place, then we identified where any rubs, she called them, you know, where they were any problem areas were. And we put them all on the table and then okay, how can we solve this? And we've got all of them taken care of except for a few that were, and those will be taken care of with our new software. So it was a good exercise. Uh, staff public engagement improvement, that's just getting started. Uh, individualized staff training program, same thing there. Uh, PowerPoints to the website uh, next to the minutes. That's something that Commissioner Munger approached me about after he, he I guess, just heard the Dola presentation, you know, when, when they were written down. And, uh, or maybe it was afterwards, who knows. But he thought, wouldn't it be great if you could click on the button next to the audio and look up the PowerPoint online? So that's something that we're working on adding to the website. Could you email us those slides from the Dolo presentation? Sure. They, they, they printed them out in, well, they gave them to everybody that they were printed out in some microprint that you can actually read them. Oh, okay. I, no. I have the actual PPT file, so. Yeah, it's a PDF file. It's a PDF file. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's probably mine. Yeah. It was just unreadable. You're writing that note? Yep. Okay, nice. Yeah, what's in that note? Thank you. Um, staff declarations. This is interesting. Um, maintenance of, of this form. This, I have this thing open on my screen right here because there, there's something that changes on this thing. Um, 
find updates, talked about that a little bit. GIS training that kind of kicked off today, you know, just kind of neat. But actually, you should see some improvements in your maps and in your GIS tools because we have a GIS department now that wants to share that information. <laughs> oh, is it a secret for So it's really good. I use that all the time. I use that all the time. Uh, site visit checklist. You know, that's something that's, that I'm envisioning that's kind of like our building permit sign-off sheet. We've got this, you know, because usually our planner, one of our junior planner that goes through that stuff, trying to make it as foolproof as possible. Hey, go through this checklist every time. Water body setbacks, skylines, you know, setbacks, height, I mean, everything is on one list. And, you know, even if it's somebody like Allen has been on you know, many site visits, you know, Keegan has only been on a couple, so if he has that kind of training aid, hey, look for these things every time they come up. You know, that would definitely help. Um, the preparation is going to And then uh, that last one, software implementation, that's the city view that I talked about. And uh, mostly Alan and Christy are the leads on that one, Alan is the leader. And uh, just how many hours we're going to go into, staff time we're going to go into getting ready to launch that software September of next year that I can push it over. Sometime. Very sometime next year. All right, we get calendar up. Uh, yeah. Go over that. Yeah. So the next meeting is on the 15th. There's a comprehensive plan discussion. Huh. Good. Wait a minute. Comprehensive master or master plan? Master it's master plan. plan. Okay. Right. All right. Steve Flexman. Okay. And then. So what are we? Are we calling that a workshop or what are we doing there? Well, it's probably just the fifth discussion we've had now. I mean, you tell me. I mean, I think that's what. Your direction was last time. Yeah, I call it more of a workshop for us. But I would, I'd like to have the commissioners read the master plan once again and start making notes on where we think things are screwed up, and then we'll okay. go through those. All right, and along with whatever staff comments okay. might be available. So before the information goes out for that discussion, you and I should talk. So that's fine. Relay expectations. Yep. Okay. Uh, so then the first meeting in September, we've got a work session on updates to the zoning regulations, recreational standards for recreational facilities with overnight accommodations, and then standards for residential treatment facilities, and then... Let me give you a little heads up on that one. You know, the, where we left off when we made the last round of changes to rec facilities with overnight accommodations is that with overnight accommodations, they go to the yard. Without, they, they, they stay in you. But back then when the board made that decision, they had a future project for us, which was trying to find a little better, maybe some parameters, if there were just a couple overnight accommodations, you know, and maybe some ideas on when the overnight accommodations are truly accessory to the use by right. Because um, there are a couple of them that we've had in the past where it's been questioned of what the primary use is. Is it the lodging or is it the recreational amenities? So we'll try and quantify that for you guys in, in a chapter 8 standard. Uh, residential treatment facilities. 
Uh, we've had a couple that have tried to come in as a rec facility because we don't have a residential treatment center in line in our language chart. And, you know, like when the foundry came in a few years ago, if you guys were on for that one, that, you know, after it was denied, they said, well, we're going to do it anyway. We're just going to have no, 12. 12. Right. Because once you're at 12 patients uh, in your facility, that you basically meet the Supreme Court definition of family, and the local community has to, has to view that as they would a single family, single family use. So um, there's one that's uh, going in on County Road 16 up to Waterloo's Pass, and you know that's what kind of got this all going again after the foundry because they contacted us and said, yeah, we're using the foundry exam. No more than 12. All right, just remember, you're a family. You do family things, you know. So anyway, it's kind of a great area. But any of the, um, you know, road impacts, mitigation, you know, there's, it's a use by rent. You can't yep. do anything about that. So the board thought it was best to um, hold work sessions on all of those and add those to the land use chart. So has the foundry then not had to come back for administrative approvals for the four additional structures that have gone up on the site? <laughs> they just, I don't know how recently, put up three platforms and put yurts on them. Uh -huh. And then building department found out about it, said, you guys need building permits? And they came to us and we said, no. They said, why not? Because they're like treatment rooms or something. And I said, because you're a family. It is not customary and commonly associated under a definition of accessory to have treatment rooms. Detached treatment rooms is part of a family. You know? And so there was some confusion. Architects, well, they have a special use for it, right? No. They're under the definition of family. So they can't have it both ways. You know? But mm -hmm. so now if we created this, I mean, at least got that option. You stay at 12 and you're a family, or if you want to get bigger than that, not just numbers, but amenities. At least there'll be a process. So it'll be. I thought by now he would be back in. But for what? I mean, there's nowhere to go from 12. You know, and especially with that. And I think they were. This is just my interpretation of it. They were uncomfortable with calling themselves a rec facility with treatment options, but that was the only thing that they could play. Right. Because they really, they no. were a treatment center. Yeah, they right. had A couple of recreation. So. You know, at least it's more transparent now for everybody if we, if we call it what it is. So but it would seem to me it would be good for the community to get that ironed out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I had another question about uh, PL19143 Garrity. Is that going to be coming in front of, the, in front of us? Is no, it's a divisional land for public purpose. That was approved administratively. So actually, it has been approved. And it's kind of in that red line process now, and there are a couple of things that are peripheral maybe to us that are being considered. But as far as our side, the, the exemption plan is done. They're approved. But. And it, it's interesting because it's of note that I know these owners, and I had the discussion, a discussion with them a couple of weeks ago. Does the replat have to come through the county? or So they're doing it by resolution? So there's no plat that they're just going to file an exemption resolution that describes the 
I think the 20 acres that the town of Oak Creek is getting in between the railroad tracks and 131, and then the eight acres that the county is getting between the railroad tracks and 27. And then there's other land that's being sold. And so that's going to be a, there's, they're going to call it 35 acre that the house is on. I think they're going to annex six acres, and then the remainder is just going to stay as a 35 plus acre property that has trails on it and trails with no athletic fields are used by rights in mm -hmm. the AFS district. Mm -hmm. All right. And any of those administrative things on this list, you know, like this one, you know, I can definitely talk about with you guys after they've been approved in the appeal period is passed. Cool. That way there's no chance of them. So you're doing an exemption plan by resolution? Is that what I heard? Well, it's an, it's an exemption approval. Gotcha. So I know it's kind of oxymoron plan resolution. Yeah. And then also on the fifth, we've got tiny homes in Milner. So that's the final PUD preliminary final subdivision. Shit, I thought we've done it. No. Uh, we had some testing to do. Water testing. Okay. And then on September nineteenth, we're gonna pick up the. Uh, fee and lieu land dedication <laughs> discussion that we were prepared to have at the joint hearing with, and then with the board. Has Commissioner Monger had his conversation <clears throat> with Mr. Knauss? He has. Okay. Yes. Isn't the 19th the Colorado APA meeting? That's October. Or did that get changed? September. Yeah, that was September. That's Right around That's right. that time. Uh, I'm not going, so I don't know. Or the better check before you book us, because some of us may be going. It's snow mass. Right. Yeah, we need to put that in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm hoping yeah, we'll right. Thank you. Yeah, because we've got. We'll I don't miss Only Jacob and I are going to APA. Alan's going to Mountain Resort Planner, and Christy's going to Western Planner. So we've got, and there's Rocky Mountain Land Use and Center, which nobody's going to this year, but presenting an extra report. So that'll get rescheduled. Yeah, maybe just like the private okay. golf clubs. Uh, and that's, that's it so far. We were hand on that. Oh, so. Nice. And then at one point in time, you were going to maybe give us an update on where the BCC was and any special uses, but we haven't had any. Right? Yeah, there haven't been any reasons. I don't think there's been any. I don't think I said I don't think there's been any. No, I don't think there's anything to report. Yep. We adjourn. So moved. Thank you, Brian. All right. I've been waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.